Who Among Mankind Loves the Lord? by Apostle Jacqueline Fedor. Spiritual court has been in session for 2,000 years, or in God's eyes, two days, since the cross. These two days ended in the year 2000, so we are now in the early morning of the third day. Many things happened in the Bible on the third day, in the morning. Moses received the law. Jesus resurrected, on and on, and big things are happening now. Court is about to come to an end. Not much time to bring in evidence against the accuser of the brethren. Much is at stake. Will the inhabitants of the earth choose the tree of life, or do they prefer the tree of good and evil? In other words, who among mankind really loves God? Do they want kingdom rule? Or are they satisfied with the ruler of this world and its systems? Do they want a new heaven, rid of rebels, and a new refurbished earth, minus our enemies, to see Jesus as king over all kingdoms of the world, or is this world to their liking? Those that have been assimilated into the world and have no love for God form the body of Antichrist. Those that choose the tree of life love God with all their being, and desire to see His kingdom come, form the body of Christ. It's the lawless against those who rejoice in the law. Is the evidence of why we want and need God's kingdom outweighing the evidence in favor of those that love the existing world? You see, our personal actions are hard evidence for or against the kingdom of the Lord many times without our even realizing it. Let me explain. For instance, when we choose the world's trendy clothes, look closely at them. They either depict corruption, new clothes with holes, runs, etc., or death and Hades with skull and crossbones, the worship of angels, wings, the list goes on. If we fell for being one of the enemy's mannequins, we chose the fruit of the tree of good and evil and are advertising our approval and love for his kingdom, all the universe to see. If we in secret slip off to see a movie with less than desirable content or rent a DVD with coarse language, etc., we may be fooling the people around us, but the enemy loves our choice of pleasures that evolved from his tree, and God's kingdom mourns over a potential loss of a citizen. It's usually the little things that steal us from God, but large infractions or small, it is the choice we make, just like Adam and Eve, that determines which kingdom we secretly identify with and who we really love. Who does our faith rest with? Who do we really want to please? Who do we love? Did someone give you too much change back from a purchase and you thought, thank you, Jesus? Sorry, Jesus didn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. That was Satan. Did we ever walk out of a store without paying for something unintentionally, but nevertheless, when we remembered, did not return it or pay for it? What kind of excuse did we excuse ourselves with? Did we understand who it is that arranged for that little trial? Sadly, if we justify ourselves 
we don't repent and evidence against us has been submitted to the court. When out in a worldly setting, do we talk differently than when we're around God's people? You know, little off-color jokes, men speaking things around women that rob them of their chaste nature, stealing their innocence, or women talking coarse around men, stirring lust and perversion, making it very plain what kind of women they are to impress the carnal side of man. Is God behind this test? He may be informed of our actions by supernatural eyewitnesses, but Satan set the stage. We certainly would not be exhibiting the holy nature of God and would be guilty of serving mankind fruit from the tree of good and evil. Agreed, we probably were not corrupting anyone in that particular worldly setting, or were we? Perhaps there was someone there that God had beforehand marked as his, and we could have been the messenger that brought them in had we passed the test. What I want us to understand, we were on trial and much evidence, proof of our guilt, was submitted by our choosing the knowledge or thinking of this carnal realm rather than God's kingdom through our speech. What is in our hearts comes out of our mouth, the word tells us. So I guess we were guilty as charged if we have walked there. We grieved the Spirit of God. Is this love for the Lord or those he died for? Ephesians chapter 4 verses 29 and 30. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. On a different line of thought, let us read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. We just can't make Sabbath. Something comes up that gets in the way of being obedient to this scripture, but we convince ourselves what we need to do is a good thing. Hmm. Seeing that Sabbath was established way back in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, and Jesus, along with the early church, did not ignore the commandment. I don't think so. God called it a holy convocation. That means it is an appointment with God and his family. What could be more important than God setting aside time for us? Are we proving we love him by not making the meetings arranged by him? What we must see, it is the subtle things that we're being tried on. The big things out in the open for all to see are easy, but the little things, the secret things, are what the enemy uses to trap us. There are few good reasons to miss Sabbath. There may be circumstances that arise that make it impossible to assemble together, but be honest with ourselves because we don't fool God or the enemy. Here again, if we don't see we are wrong, we don't repent, and we are again guilty as charged. You see, we as individuals 
are being tried in an attempt to prove we are unfit as witnesses for the kingdom of God, that we don't love God or his people and so cannot represent them. If we come through our trials as overcomers, however, we will be expert witnesses. We will have experienced firsthand the enemy's influence in our lives, but overcame. One, because the blood of Jesus covered our mistakes, therefore destroying the evidence against us. And two, the word of our testimony was backed by Scripture, the law of God. We can make it through the fire of trial with God's help, as prophesied in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people, and each one will say, The Lord is my God. We will have proven our love. Therefore, we that are born again have legal right as overcomers to defend the earth and its inhabitants. The law that backs this is found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Knowing the promise made to Abraham and his seed and accepting them by faith, we as the descendants of Abraham through Christ are heirs of the world so we can legally defend what is ours. Romans chapter 4 verse 13 backs this claim, or our testimony. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham's seed that overcome their trials today are fulfilling prophecy as they pray and cover earth's inhabitants. Genesis chapter 22 verse 17 and 18 prophesies this truth. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. If Abraham's seed are to possess the gates of their enemies, and Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We must therefore be able to possess the gates of hell. For those that are tired of sickness, corruption, sorrow, and pain, you must be getting a little excited now. There is finally real hope of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 and 54 being fulfilled. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. There is real liberty 
a setting free of the captives, an earth-wide jubilee as we prove beyond all reasonable doubt that we love God and want His kingdom to reign. All creation is waiting to enter into that glorious freedom with us. Let us close by reading Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body.